The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 and 12 through 17. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened, uh, uh, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen, amen. Thanks for reading God's word for us. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Let me, my bad, let me get y'all paper. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Nothing just happened. Um, I'm one of the um, pastors here, Sir Gregory, and I'm excited to continue our series the gospel of Exodus, the story of our faithful God. And I'm super excited to share with you what God has put on my heart. Um, But before we um, turn to God's word, I also 
just want to acknowledge the year this has been for downtown church. Wouldn't you agree? Um, January, our lead founding pastor stands here and um, announces his transition. We was filled and hit with a lot of emotions. Um, soon after that, we was told, hey, we're about to buy a billion, a building, and we got to raise $10 million in five days. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? I'm exaggerating a little bit, but we was like, we're about to get a building, yay! And then it was like, my bad, y'all. We can't get this building. It's, it's not time. We got to stay put at streets. And then August hit. We, we sent our lead pastor off. You know, it was tears. It was joy. It was excitement. And then even last week, we hear another announcement of transition. I just want to share up front that um, this has been a year. Um, it's easy to just be like, oh, we're good. God is good. But I think it's wise and even healthy for us to just acknowledge the emotional journey um, this has been for all of us. And I want to just give you the permission to feel what you feel. Feel sadness, feel um, grief, feel anger, feel um, um, all of the questions that you feel about feeling, but my encouragement is to not let your sadness turn into despair or division. Because as we have been preaching through Exodus, I love that when God met Moses and told Moses to go to Egypt and appear before Pharaoh, Moses felt like us. He was scared. He was fearful. He had a lot of questions. But I love that God didn't just look to answer all of Moses' questions directly, but God said, Moses, I'm with you. You don't need to know the when, the how, the what, the why. What you need right now is to know I'm with you, to trust in me, to, to bring your emotions, to bring all of your questions to me. And that's just what I would love to share with you as well. God is the God of downtown church, and this church is in his hands. Amen? Amen. So without further ado, let's just pray and ask God to bless this word. Um, dear God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to call on your name. We thank you for the, um, for the song that we just proclaimed and heard proclaimed over us that, Lord, we are made clean by your love, by your blood, by your mercy. And, God, we give you thanks and praise for that. And, God, even now as we turn to the preaching of your word, God, I just pray that you move in our hearts and our minds and our ears. Transform us by the preaching of your word even now. Holy Spirit, do something that only you can do. And I pray this in Exodus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to tell you this morning, if you don't know, the blood still works. The blood still works. It was the fall of 1943 when German soldiers began to round up Jews in Italy, deporting them by the thousands to concentration camps. Simultaneously, as, as Jews were being um, um, held captive and taken to concentration camps, a mysterious and deadly disease called Syndrome K swept through the city of Rome. 
causing dozens of patients to be admitted to the local hospital. The details of the disease are sketchy, but the disease includes, symptoms include a persistent cough which led to paralysis, which soon led to death. And this disease was highly contagious. Syndrome came. I'm sure you have heard of tuberculosis. I'm sure you have heard of the chicken pox, even the yellow fever. But I would bet money that you have never heard of Syndrome K. There is no mention of it in medical textbooks. And outside of this specific hospital, nobody had heard of it before. But when the German soldiers went to raid this hospital searching for Jews to deport to concentration camps, they were met by the hospital staff saying, you do not want to go through these doors. Because through those doors are where all of our Syndrome K patients are. It's this disease that's highly contagious. There is no cure. If you walk through those doors, you're going to get sick and you're going to die. And none of these German soldiers dared go in those doors. And this is how at least 100 Jews were taken refuge at the hospital escape death because Syndrome K was a made-up disease. The head physician, Dr. Giovanni, made up this disease for refugees to come in and find refuge so that the German soldiers could pass over the hospital. And this is a small picture of what the Passover feast is all about. It's the, the Passover, it's the monumental moment in history and Christian history where God saved Israel by allowing God's judgment to pass over Israel. Interestingly, the Passover meal is given in the Old Testament for Israel to keep to remember that salvation comes through the blood of a lamb signifying deliverance out of Egypt. And at the same time, the Lord's Supper was given in the New Testament for the church to observe, remembering that salvation comes through the lamb, Jesus, signifying deliverance from, sickness, from guilt, shame, and sin. But what I want to tell you, this morning is that the Passover is more than a sign or a reminder of our salvations, of our salvation and our deliverance. The Passover is a sign and a reminder of the responsibility of the Christian. It's a reminder that God is the one who saves, but God saves sinners so that the sinner may live a life growing in holiness. And if I had to say what the Passover is and one sentence, what the bottom line of this message is, it's this, that God did not save you to keep you the same. But he saves you so you can continually grow in holiness. God did not save you for you to just keep living how you want, but now he saves you for you to now begin the life growing in holiness. Israel has been in Egypt for over 430 years up to this point. They have cried out to the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God has raised up a leader, Moses, to, to deliver them out of Egypt. And we heard last week that, that God sent these nine plagues to, to show Egypt who is really in charge. They 
God said, oh, you want to worship the Nile River because you think all of your life substance comes from the Nile River? Well, I'm going to turn this Nile River, this water, into blood. Oh, you want to worship frogs because you think frogs is the symbol of, of, of the recreation of life. Well, I'm about to fill your land with frogs. You're going to have frogs in your pillows, your shoes, and your socks. And God sends these nine plagues into Egypt to show the world that I am is the one to be worshipped and feared. And it's important before we move on to, to look at chapter 11, verse 7, that says the Lord makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Here in Exodus, Egypt is a picture of cruel oppression and wickedness that God is bringing judgment upon. Even in the New Testament, Egypt represents our old life of slavery to sin. Egypt represents those who are opposed to the Lord. And while Israel is the picture of those who have been set free, delivered from a life to sin, God is making a distinction on whose side are you on. So God sends nine plagues, and the first nine plagues only affected Egypt. When he turned the water into, wine, into blood, not wine, Israel still had clean drinking water. When he sent the frogs into the land, not a frog touched where Israel was. When God blocked the sun for three days and Egypt had no light, Israel still had light. And it's also good to point out that the first nine plagues, God used the creation to execute these plagues. But chapter 11, verse 4, and the final plague it says about, God said about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. This final plague, this tenth plague is monumental. It's, it's so big because it's different from the previous nine plagues in two ways. The first way it's different is that the first nine plagues did not affect Israel, but now this tenth plague, Israel is in danger of judgment. And the first nine plague, God used creation, but now this tenth plague, God says, I myself will come down and execute judgment. My sole purpose of coming down right now in this very moment is to execute judgment. Now, we just read that God gives Israel some instructions to take the blood from a lamb and smear it on the doorpost. And this will be the sign for God to pass over the house and not strike them down. And you may be wondering why Israel have to put blood over their doorpost to escape the judgment of God. And it's because Israel isn't innocent themselves. They aren't free of God's judgment, and God being a perfect, holy, and righteous judge cannot overlook any sin regardless who it is. But in his grace, instead of judging Israel with Egypt, he provides a way of salvation for Israel. He says to place the blood on the doorpost, which will be the sign that judgment has already come. This, this moment in history is so monumental that, that, that God says, I want you to keep this as a feast every year forever. In fact, in fact, you think this is the middle of the year. Now, I want to reschedule, recalibrate the entire year. This is the first month now. 
This moment right here, your life, your, your, your whole life is to be centered around this moment of salvation. And the Passover, I want us to see today, reminds us of two things. And the first thing that the Passover reminds us of is salvation. That salvation is found by seeking refuge in the blood of Christ. So keep in mind, God's judgment is coming through the land. So God tells Israel to take the lamb. In verse 5, he says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. Verse 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. On the 10th day, every household was to behold a lamb that was perfect and without blemish. And, and on the 14th day, all of Israel at the same time will kill this innocent, unblemished lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorposts. Blood. Why blood? Why this unsanitary, unpleasant act to, to be saved? But Hebrews 9 verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So if you want to pay the price for your sin debt to God, you pay with blood. Blood must be shed for the remission and the forgiveness of sin and not just any blood though, the blood of a perfect lamb. And God says to take this blood over and put it over your doorpost and I will pass over you. Thank God for the Passover. But there's still one problem. After the Passover, we sin again. And we got to find another unblemished lamb. And we got to shed that blood again. And we got to put it over our doorposts again. Then your kids start talking up and you sin again. And you got to wait a whole week. The blood of this lamb is insufficient to, to truly pay the price to take away all of our sin. Until that day came when John the Baptist looked ahead and saw a man by the name of Jesus walking towards him. And John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. See, without blood being shed, there is no forgiveness of sin. There isn't enough blood in the world to cover all of my sins. So the Bible says that Jesus, who was sitting at the right hand of God the Father, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to hold on to. So Jesus himself emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus humbled himself to die on the cross, acting as the sacrificial lamb who died so that the eternal judgment of God may pass over you too. This is the good news this morning, that Jesus is our greater lamb. But for good news to become sweet, we need to understand the bitter reality that sin has cost us. We don't see God with our physical eyes. And we may go our entire lives without seeing the consequences of our actions. Many people go throughout life without any awareness of or care for God. And they live what you may call a relatively good life. 
So because of a lack of awareness of God, there is a lack of awareness of the impending judgment God has promised. I drive down Union to get to, to the church office every day. And unfortunately for me, the city has installed a 35 mile per hour speed camera. And apparently I um, overlooked that sign. Um, I was driving, you know, 40, maybe 45, maybe 50, who knows? I don't know. But, but, but I passed the 35 mile per hour speed camera and even though I wasn't going 35 miles per hour, I didn't see a policeman in sight. So I kept driving however fast I was driving. I got away. Well, two months go by and Jay checks the mail and she says, what's this? And I said, what is that? And it was a ticket from the city of Memphis with my car, with my license plate, with the street, with the exact date and the exact time and second, saying I owed them $50 for, for speeding in the 35-mile-per-hour speed zone. And even though I didn't see a, a, a policeman, and even though I didn't, um, 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 even though I, I wasn't judged immediately, judgment later came. And it's easy to fall into the same trap of thinking that we have escaped God's judgment because we seem to be getting away at this moment. And this is what Pharaoh thought too. I'm Pharaoh. I'm rich. I'm powerful. I'm the master of my fate. What can God do to me? And God is sending his judgment. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we all have sinned against God and failed to meet God's perfect standard. And the consequences for our sin is judgment. That's the bad news, but let me expeditiously tell you the good news. The good news for you is me is that there is power in the blood. That there is wonder-working power to save the greatest of sinners. There is wonder-working power to exonerate the guilty. There is power in the blood to redeem your life out of the pit, to pull you out of that muddy clay and just place your feet on solid ground. There is power in the blood. There's power in the blood to break the generation cycles that lead to broken homes and family. There's power in the blood to heal your body on this side of eternity or the next. There is power in the blood. And what I love about what the Passover pictures, it, it is the picture of, of, of salvation that, that blood is shed and now we are saved. Judgment has passed over us. But, but, but it's also a picture that when God saves us, he invites us into a safe home. It's the picture of someone being outside camping with just a tent. I don't know who you are and why you would do that. But you're outside at, at a campsite and you didn't check the news. You didn't check the weather and, and, and an unexpected, unpredictable storm comes. It's hailing. The wind is blowing your tent all types of crazy ways. You, you are in fear for your life. A flood is coming and you have nowhere to go. But you remember that there is a welcome site at the top of the hill and you think if I can just make it to the welcome site, I will be saved. And you do everything you can to get to the welcome center and when you walk inside, the rain stops. 
You're no longer cold from the, from the rain, chilly wind, but now you're greeted with a blanket. There's, there's refuge inside. This is the picture of the Passover that God not only sheds his blood through the lamb to cleanse you, to forgive you of your sin, but after he saves you, cleansing you of your sin, he invites you into a new home. There is safety, there is security, there is sanctuary in the throne room of God. Then God continues to speak in verse 15. He says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And this leads us to the second reminder of the Passover, which is sanctification. God's salvation is given for us to pursue holiness. After the bloodshed of the lamb, the next instruction from God is to remove all leaven from the house. Leaven or yeast, yeast might be the more familiar term to us. It's the substance that's causes, that causes dough to rise. Every time I have driven from Memphis to St. Louis, I typically make a pit stop halfway through in Sykeston, Missouri at Lambert's Cafe. And for you, have never, for you who have never heard of Lambert's, they are famously known for their huge butter rolls that are the size of a basketball. And they don't just bring it by, they throw these basketball-sized rolls across the entire restaurant. This, this is what they're famously known for. And the way that they get these basketballs, buttered rolls so big is the amount of yeast that is inside of them. Yeast and leaven is what causes dough to rise. And you might not know this, but yeast is also the agent used in the fermentation of sugar, which leads to the making of alcohol. You also may not know this, but yeast is not just a powder, it's actually a living organism. It's actually a fungus. And this seems a bit strange if you just casually read the Bible and you first see God say, take blood from a lamb and put it on your doorpost and then go inside and take all the yeast out your house. My first time reading this, I was like, what does yeast got to do with anything, right? And I picture Moses saying, I don't know why, but I'm going to listen to you, God. But it's important for us to know that the Bible often refers to leaven as a corrupting substance. Matthew 16, 6, Jesus said, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Don't get corrupted by their false teachings. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the entire lump? Therefore, cleanse the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Leaven or yeast, the Bible refers to as sinful, harming teachings, behaviors, or people that may be present in your life. And Paul warns us of leaven, saying just a little leaven can ruin the entire lump. Saying that just a little sin in your life can and will grow into bigger and bigger sin. 
And the temptation for the believer today is to think, yes, Jesus saved me, but, 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 but he know this area of my life, um, um, I just got to throw in the towel. This area of my life, this, this, this sin um, um, it isn't a big deal. It's, it's not harmful to any way. But the scripture teaches us that sin is not a dead, inactive thing. It's yeast. It's a fungus. It's a living, corrupting substance that will never just stay put in the closet, but sin like yeast grows and grows and grows. We all, I'm sure, know of that famous Christian, that famous pastor, that famous mentor who you knew was walking with the Lord, but, but all of a sudden fell into a moral trap. And it shocked the Christian world. But when you would peel back the layers and look back in their life, it always seems that they just didn't wake up one day and fall into this trap that has led to the destruction of their life. But it started with just being comfortable with this small sin way back here. And God tells us that, that, yes, I'm the one who saves you. I'm the one who has shown you grace and mercy. And it's by my blood that you are saved and brought into my house. But I did not bring you into my house for you to corrupt my house. That, yes, we are saved by grace. But now we are on this journey called sanctification. That day by day we are to continue to pursue a life of growing in our holiness. Colossians 3 says it this way. It says, put to death that which is earthly, all sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, anger, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Put it away. It's the scheduled time of the year, the Passover is, for Israel to remove the leaven out of their house. And I believe that the Christian today should have a regular rhythm of examining our hearts and lives, asking God to show us the sin in our lives that we may be unaware of. A simple prayer to pray is Psalms 139 verse 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. The Passover is not just a religious feast, but I believe the Passover should be a spiritual practice for all believers constantly looking and examining the sin that may be present in our heart and lives. And I forgot to say this very important thing about sanctification. But sanctification is still God doing the work in us. I love this right here because God is the one who saves us by calling us to himself and giving us the faith to believe in the first place. But even after that, God is the one who by his grace is working in our lives, still molding us more and more into his perfect image. And this is super encouraging because I don't know about you, but often I live my life as though I'm in charge of my own sanctification. I live my life as like, okay, God, thank you for saving me, but now it's my responsibility to, to, to stop all of these sinful behaviors. And what happens when I fail is that I then feel like I can't approach God anymore. Because I'm the, yes, God saved me, but now it's my job to 
keep my salvation or it's my job to keep in good standing with God. I feel as though I have lost a, the, the privilege of coming near to God. I feel as if, like, yes, God, I know I'm in your house. I know I'm saved, but I feel like you just want me to stay in my room and not come sit on the couch with you. Um, recently, my daughter did something wrong. That's not surprising. So I, 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 but I tried the new the new generation parenting technique, Miss Christmas. I don't know if it worked. I'm thinking about going back to the old school way. Um, um, but the new generation parenting technique is, hey, Karis, that is not okay. I'm very disappointed. I didn't yell my voice. I, I didn't raise my voice. I didn't threaten her with, you know, discipline. I just said, that was very disappointing to me. And I was proud of myself in that moment. I said, that's... I did right, and I walked away, but when I turned around, I, I looked at Karis, and she was still standing in the same spot with her head down, and she was kind of balling up within herself, and I looked at her, and I could tell when she fake crying to get some attention, and we know that, but I was like, no, this is a sincere cry, and she was fighting to keep her emotions back, and, and, and she began to cry, and she was crying not because she was disappointed in her own behavior. She was not crying because, because um, um, of the words I said to her, but she was crying because she thought that my love for her would change when I said that was disappointing to me. She cried because she thought she was no longer safe in our relationship. And instead of sending Karis to her room and, say, and saying, I want you to go and think about what you did, I stooped down and I hugged her and I said, baby girl, I love you and nothing will ever change that. And this is the good news of even our sanctification is that even when we fail, God is not a father who sends us to our room and says, y'all think about what you did. And two days later, now you can come back and pray to me. God is the prodigal father who, when his son was far away, ran to his son, hugged him, kissed him and said, you are my son and I love you. Even in our sanctification, God wants to be close to us. Even when we fail, and the good news today is that the blood still works. The blood that is able to save, the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. The same blood that brought you into God's house and gave you a room and gave you a father, it's the same blood washing you clean day after day. The blood still works. Um, there's an old legend that says there was two journalists who was reporting at the crucifixion of Jesus. These two journalists worked for the local newspaper, the Daily Jerusalem, and, 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 and they was reporting on the death of Jesus to write something good in the next morning's column. And, and they was thinking about, man, what can we write about that would be good that everybody would want to hear about? One journalist said, um, I know we can write about his birth they said he was born of a virgin sent from God to be the savior of the world. And the other journalists said, nah, we can't write about that. Matthew going to write about that. The other journalists said, okay, I got it. Let's write about how he took two fish and five loaves of bread and fed 5,000 men. That's it. That's what we're going to write about. And the other guy said, nah, John going to write about that. 
I know what we're going to write about. Let's write about how, how him and his disciples was on the boat. And the storm came and, 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 and was about to destroy this boat. But Jesus woke up from a nap and said, be still. And the waves and the sea laid down and hushed. The other guy said, nah, Mark is going to write about that. But what are we going to write about then, man? And the other journalist said, let's just look at Jesus right now. There's a crown of thorns on his head. There's blood dripping down his forehead. There's nails pierced in his hand, nails pierced in his feet. There's blood dripping down. Oh, it's so much blood. They just pierced them in the side. It's so much blood. Look at the blood. I know what I'm going to write about. The journalist said, I'm going to write, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he got happy in the other journalist and said, oh, I know what I'm going to write about too. The blood had to come from somewhere. He said, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. When sinners plunge beneath this flood, lose all its guilt and stain. I came today to tell you that the blood still works. I came to tell you that there's power in the blood. I came to tell you that all you got to do is say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're about to lose your job. I don't know if you're about to lose something. I don't know what you're going through. You might be at a place in your life and you feel like there's nothing to thank God for, but I'm here to tell you that there's enough to thank him for. Thank you for the blood. It's the blood that saves us. It's the blood that cleanses us. It's the blood that raises us. It's the blood that turns our life around, places our feet on solid ground. It's the blood that keeps us. Thank God for the blood. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the blood. Thank you, Lord, that even though we sinned against you, we were a unfaithful people. You said, I still going to make a way to bring you into my house. Even when we ran away from you, God, you pursued us. You are the good shepherd who will leave the 99 just for the one. And God, even today, no matter where we are, no matter how far we may feel from you, God, I thank you, though, that we can look to you today and find a refuge and find forgiveness and find the assurance that we all long for. So, God, I pray for all of us here that we be a people who are daily growing in our love and our knowledge and our sense of holiness as we look to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. The blood will never lose its power. Let's leave encouraged as we receive the Lord's blessing over our life. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Be blessed, downtown church. Mm -hmm.